This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Man's Destiny, and the author is Colin Leach. And Colin joins us now. Hello, Colin. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. Man's Destiny is a remarkable book that you're combining scientific knowledge, analysis, and imagination, because we're going to talk about things like the Big Bang Theory that created the universe. We're going to talk about why God created man and the destiny in store for him and how all, how all of this fits together. Even going to talk about the Great Pyramid. But before we get into all those details, tell us a little bit about yourself, Colin, and why you wrote this book. Well, um, uh, I'm, uh, I, I live in Borden in England, and um, I'm, I... Uh, I study chess most of the time, but uh, with regard to man's destiny, I had a few basic ideas, and I couldn't get them out of my mind, so eventually I decided to analyze them, and uh, eventually from them came this book, Man's Destiny. Well, we need to look at the universe a little differently, you're saying. You're really revolutionizing our thinking. That's right, yes. I've come up with a theory for the Big Bang that no one else has thought of. But it's not just for the Big Bang. It explains uh, so much else. Um, it explains why God created man, why man's got far more intelligence than any other creature. And uh, it, it puts man in his proper place, his real importance to God. So he had to have this perfect environment for man. Obviously, we couldn't live on any other planet that isn't the way the Earth is. That's right, yes. And Earth is perfectly designed for us. That couldn't have come about just through a series of mindless processes. It had to be planned. The same with the solar system. That's perfect. Earth, Earth is perfectly situated within the uh, solar system. So that, that had to be planned as well. So, are are you trying to send a message to the church? I think so. Yes, they've got to they've got to look at uh, uh, Genesis in a completely different light. The same with scientists as well. They've got to start looking at uh, at the uh, at the Genesis account of creation in a new light. Their theory of evolution doesn't account for man having uh, far more intellect than any other creature. Natural evolution only allows a, um, a creature to, uh, to be able to survive and reproduce, but we're, we're advanced far beyond that level, so we must have been created by a different process. Tell me about the Great Pyramid, the construction of the Great Pyramid in Egypt, and how this plays into this. Well, the way it plays in is that um, once God created, had created man, he... Uh, had to govern man's development, his progress. And um, the Great Pyramid sets out a timeline that covers key events in man's history, landmark events. It covers the, uh, the, coming, uh, the, the, the life and death of Jesus Christ. It covers such things as the First World War and uh, the Great Depression of the 1930s. All those sort of things are the landmark, uh, landmark events. And uh, that, that uh, seemed to me to, to, to represent God's schedule. And uh, that's why the Great Pyramid was created. It was, a, it, was, it was a set out God's schedule. So your book is broken down into some different sections. You have one called In the Beginning. Then you have God's schedule, and you have another one, uh, let's see, man's progress, future, and destiny, and uh -huh. you, everything seems, seems, seems very clear to you, doesn't it? Yes, yes, I think I've put everything into its proper context. Now, how do you think Muslims and Jews 
and Christians and, you know, in general will look at your work? I think they'll, um, they'll be a bit surprised at it because, um, for example, um, the, the Muslims don't accept that uh, Jesus was the Son of God. They think that um, uh, he was, um, his, his work was superseded by Muhammad. Um, and the Jews don't accept that uh, Jesus was the Son of God either. So I think they'll have to uh, have another thing because it is possible to, you know, to uh, to to prove that uh, Jesus was a divine being, that he was sent by uh, by God, and for a particular reason. It all it all fits in with uh, with God's schedule because it was necessary for uh, for for man to be uh, uh, taught Christianity. And the devil has a place in all of this. Oh yes, yes. Without the devil, it's not possible, as I said, to uh, to explain the uh, the creation of the universe, uh, because God God would neither want nor need the universe. Uh, so something else had to have uh, have brought it about, um, and uh, the the Big Bang, as I said, was was caused by um, the the devil. Because he he's God's arch rival, he would want to destroy anything that God created, and um, and uh, he managed to succeed in doing that, and yeah. that's and that's how we uh, we had the uh, the Big Bang that uh, that created the universe. And of course, uh, a focus on Adam and Eve. Yes, yes, they're they're actually quite important. Again, that's something else that uh, that uh, I I, an, I analysed in uh, considerable depth. Uh, Adam and Eve um, personify early man, as as, as I point out that um, that uh, in, in in order for God to create man, he had to uh, genetically engineer um, uh, one of a species of primate. And um, Adam represents the, uh, one, one of his early attempts to, uh, to create modern man, but he wasn't quite good enough. And so God had to uh, create Eve. She's the final version of, um, of uh, mankind, so she represents Homo sapien. Now, you also have a section in your book called God's Covenants. What is that section about? Uh, well, that covered, first of all, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they, they committed the original sin. So they fell from grace, and so God had to expel them from the uh, Garden of Eden. But he couldn't abandon them because he needs, he needs mankind, so he had to draw up various uh, rules and regulations, terms under which they, uh, they lived. So, so that he still exercised a measure of control over them. So he drew up a covenant with Adam, and uh, he drew up a covenant with, uh, with uh, Noah, he drew up a covenant with Moses. All these were attempts to try and regulate uh, mankind's social and religious life. He had to do that because he, he had to try and control our progress because he created us for a particular reason. What's the importance of the soul? How important is the soul? The soul is absolutely crucial. Um, you see, I realized uh, from, from an early start, uh, early start when, I was, when I was analyzing uh, uh, this theory, that we couldn't possibly learn in one lifetime all that God wants us to learn. So a part of us, has to be immortal, has to be able to, uh, to contain all, all that we, uh, we learn in a lifetime and be able to pass it on to future generations. And that's why we have um, innate uh, patterns of behavior. We have innate gifts like talents. Um, and so that's where the soul comes in. It's really our, our, the, the, the part of us that's immortal. Now, you say that the church will dispute your analysis of the human soul and also your analysis of Revelations 20.12, where he talks about the book of life. Now, explain what you mean there. Right. Well, 
the book of life is the record that God keeps. He enters in the book of life the names of those who, uh, who are his followers. And they, at the time of uh, the day of judgment, they will be amongst those who are saved. But our, our soul uh, returns to heaven at the end of each lifetime, and God's able to pass judgment at the end of each lifetime on us. And uh, that's, uh, that's where uh, God's able to scan the soul. We have to think of the soul as a kind of computer that God can scan as easily as a computer operator can scan a, a, a computer database. And so uh, once God, God scans the computer, he can, he can see everything that, uh, that we've done during a lifetime, all the, um, the, the actions we've done, all the misdeeds that people have done. And he's, a, he's able to pass an accurate judgment on, um, on people at the end of each lifetime. How do you think? How do yes, you think man's ha, man has progressed? How do you uh, analyze that? Well, I I had to analyze it in really, really just just by keeping it to the uh, to previous to to the previous themes in the book. In 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 other words, to look at uh, how he's fulfilling um, uh, the uh, God's schedule, and uh, at the moment. Um, he, it's, it's, it's difficult to say that, uh, that he's really made a great deal of progress in, in that respect because we've still got troubles in the Middle East, uh, but, you know, particularly with the, uh, the problems between Israel and Iran. Also, of course, the problems between Israel and uh, Hamas guerrillas in the Gaza Strip. So at the moment, uh, uh, it's, it's very difficult to say that uh, that we've really made a great deal of progress. Um, the the problem is that um, that from a, from a very early time, God selected the uh, the children of Israel to be His chosen race. That is, these were these are the people through whom He would make His uh, His uh, will known. And uh, I think the. The Arabs in the Middle East couldn't accept that, so they've always regarded the, uh, the Israelis as sort of intruders into their land, and um, that's that's been the problem uh, since biblical times, and it still persists. So, in 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 that sense, not a great deal of progress has been made, and Israel continues to be under threat from her Arab neighbours. Your book wraps up with some threats to man. Tell us about some of these threats to man as you see in the future. Well, the, the, the first ones I deal with are, are possible um, ice ages. These, this, is, this is looking at threats from the long-term point of view. Uh, one of the threats is a, is a future ice age. Another, uh, another threat, of course, comes from uh, volcanic activity, particularly the one, uh, the uh, supervolcano in Yellowstone Park, because that could uh, devastate the surface of the USA. And the USA is important in God's plan because it's the, it's, it's, it's the leading democratic and Christian nation. It's also the main supporter of Israel. So uh, a, a, a threat to the USA a serious threat to the USA will be a serious threat to God's plan. And, of course, there's a, there's, there's a matter of global warming. That's, an, that's another problem, because that's causing all, all sorts of difficulties um, uh, with regard to the countries uh, around the world. It's also affecting water supplies. And uh, so I, I, I analyse all those um, possible threats but I don't think that they'll uh, be sufficient to, um, to upset uh, 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 man's future or uh, man's destiny. I think that uh, Revelation pretty well, uh, in, in, a, in a broad sense, uh, sets out man's destiny. And finally, tell us about the New Jerusalem. 
Yeah, the New Jerusalem, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a fascinating concept. I, I, I couldn't see it as simply a revamped version of the city of Jerusalem that we, we, we now see. It has to be something on a much broader scale. The reason is this, that um, I, I believe that, that God created man and endowed him with so much intelligence because he wants, uh, he wants us eventually to be able to restore matters to how they were before that explosion. So that means that prior to doing that, we've got to be able to think and operate on a universal scale. To do that, of course, we need uh, a universal form of government. And a universal government requires a universal capital. And I think that the, the, the New Jerusalem has to be viewed on that scale. We've been listening to Colin Leach. He is the author of his book, Man's Destiny. Colin, tell us how to get your book. Uh, it can be ordered from Author House Publications, and um, I can give you the, uh, the phone number. It's 0800-197-4150, or you can visit www.authorhouse.co.uk. Well, thank you very much, Colin, for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station? Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Girlfriend It is on Togginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriend at Principal was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to mm -hmm. have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back. To Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Savvy Success, Achieving Professional Excellence and Career Satisfaction in the Dental Hygiene Profession, Volume 1, You Roles, Practice Environment. And the author is Christine A. Havaleris. And Christine joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Christine. Oh, hi, Steve. Thank you so much for, for scheduling this interview today. Well, great I to really have... appreciate it. Well, this is uh, extremely important because as much as we don't like to go to the dentist, uh, of course, the dentist is just plays a specific role, and the dental hygienist plays this huge role. You have really grown. This profession has really grown, hasn't it? It has. We have over right now, the American Dental Hygiene Association cites about 150,000 practicing dental hygiene professionals across the country, you know, in the United States, which is phenomenal. 
Well, you have interviewed 47 dental hygienists across the country, providing their insights on what inspired them to go into this profession, and of course, treating patients to make them healthier. And this is just the first volume. Uh, there's three volumes in this <laughs> labor of love. And so before we get into the details, Christine, sure. tell us about yourself, your background, and why you decided to do this. Sure, um, Steve. I've been a dental hygiene professional for 28 years. I, you know, I have a two and a four year degree in a Bachelor of Science degree in dental hygiene. Also have a master's degree, MBA in pharmaceutical studies. Um, I've practiced in private practice, oh my goodness, for over 25 years. Um, you know, ideally working in a periodontal practice for 16 years with one of my mentors, who was Dr. Jeffrey Gordon, and then also went into corporate industry and worked for the Warner Lambert Company from 1989 to 2001. And I was in several different roles in that company. I started out in a clinical research associate position. I helped the company to launch Coolmint Listerine mouthwash um, because we only had Listerine on the market back in the late 80s. Um, and then we, you know, launched Coolmint Listerine toothpaste and then, of course, pocket packs, which is that little strip you put in your mouth to get fresh breath. Um, and then I went into um, sales training with the company and trained their 250-person rep, you know, um, sales representatives across the country in oral hygiene training of what they needed to do when they went into a dental or periodontal practice to detail the Listerine product line. And then, of course, um, I went into sales and became one of them. And then went into marketing within the company and worked with our brand managers um, in the Listerine product line in order to, you know, get our strategic message out to, um, you know, the professionals out in the field of, you know, what our company wanted to say about the product. So I ended up leaving that company after um, Pfizer took us over in 2000. So I left a year later. And um, actually, after that, did a little bit of voiceover work and acting work in New York City for about two years and then decided, you know, I needed to make more money <laughs> and decided to start my own oral care consulting company called Professional Savvy. And so what my company does is I work with oral care companies as well as dental professionals and dental practices on marketing strategy, uh, initiation of new professional programs, a lot of writing uh, I've done for a lot of um, the companies I work for. And then during my time in my company, I was actually editor of Access Magazine. And that's the of uh, that was at the time uh, the official publication of the American Dental Hygienist Association. Uh, I was in that role from 2005 to 2008 to, um, you know, bring, uh, I was the first dental hygiene uh, editor in chief you know, changed the magazine, uh, worked with a team of wonderful people at ADHA and, um, you know, brought in new columns, did a lot of interviews with hygienists, um, you know, developed editor an editorial and industry board, um, and then left that position in 08 and then just continued to go on to write my books, which were a dream of mine to do. Um, and to answer your question of why I decided to do it, um, I was very much inspired when I graduated from Fairleigh Dickinson College of Dental Medicine in 1984 with my two-year degree and then in 85 with my four-year degree. Um, I had met my um, dental hygiene mentor who was a woman by the name of Regina Dreyer Thomas. And Regina was, she's out, she's still, she's a wonderful woman. We still keep in touch. Um, she's, I think, in her early 80s now, and she does a lot of acting and does a lot of, um, you know, voiceover as well. But she inspired me because at the time, Steve, she wrote a book called Career Directions for Dental Hygienists. And this book was a wonderful, it was a three-volume series, and she featured hygienists that were um, working in different roles in dental hygiene. Um, and I, I was actually featured in, you know, in the 90s in my role as a research dental hygienist working for Warner Lambert. So that was a great honor. But she had all different types of women that were in different um, roles and career opportunities. And they told you how they got into that role, 
the education they needed and what inspired them to do that. So after I read that book and not, and knowing that, you know, you didn't just have to be um, a dental hygienist in clinical practice, you could go into education, you can go into research like I was doing, you could go into public health, but there were a, a vast majority of um, other opportunities that dental hygienists could grow into with, you know, more education and more training. And that inspired me. So when I, after I, um, you know, left my editor position and was editor emeritus, I decided that that at that time I would start my own series of books um, and do something, you know, like the other books that were out there, but to make a difference, um, to really inspire hygienists to look at dental hygiene as a career and not a job. And a lot of hygienists who I were I was consulting with through my company really didn't look at dental hygiene as a major, major career. They looked at it as a job. So in my eyes, I wanted to kind of change that and show them that there were a lot of opportunities out there to, to you know, go into and also discuss patient care and the clinical competencies that are in, in volumes two. And then, of course, in volume three is on technology, ethics, and career success where, you know, they're getting updated information on the services they provide, the trends, and also the technology that are going on in the dental hygiene field and in dentistry. Well, I would have to say after that great description. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was a little No, <laughs> that was beautiful because it really shows us and, and helps us understand the depth of this. And I'd have to call you, if you would permit me, not only the expert, but the expert spelled with a capital E-X-P-E-R-T, all those letters capitalized. Uh, well, fantastic, well, you. Christine. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm one of many people across the, the field, sure. um, you know, in the dental hygiene community. I'm not the expert on everything, but um, I'm, a, you know, I brought in the right people to help me right. write these books who were experts in other areas that I was not an expert in. So, you know, to be humble, you know, I know what I can do as a dental hygiene professional, but so it's important to me to bring other people in into this collaborative effort. This three-volume uh, set, uh, you really, they're called textbooks, aren't they? Yeah, they're actually, I have them right here, and I actually have this one flagged, too. This is what the, the books look like, if you can see right, it. Right, right. Um, this actually... Um, you know, we did a little something different. We did these in the soft color cover books that are really easy. You know, Steve, for a student, you know, I have several target audiences, really easy to read. You know, that you can flag the pages, mm -hmm. highlight them, tag them like I do here. Um, and we also did these as ebooks too, because a lot of sure. dental hygiene professionals, you know, they're very savvy with computers. So they wanted something easy to read. So um, Author House, my publisher, um, great company to work with. Um, they actually worked with me on both of these. So we did soft color glossy and also ebooks as well. Well, what would you say are some of the uh, more important topics that you cover uh, for the different, uh, well, I guess these different audiences that you're focused on? Okay, um, great. I, well, I think all the topics are great. The beginning is is really kind of them as of, you know, the people I interviewed, them as getting into hygiene and all that, the roles and career tools and the practice environment, some really great key opinion leaders who talk about leadership, communication, population health. Um, I have to say, you know, looking at hygiene as a profession, the really heart and soul of it is really pa the patient care um, because this is the everyday, um, the everyday practice of hygiene, which some of the topics include like patient assessment and documentation, um, dental hygiene diagnosis, pharmacology. Uh, we look at um, instrumentation, um, peri ultrasonic periodontal therapy. Um, we look at infection control. Uh, we look at dental caries and minimum, minimal invasive dentistry. Um, and we look at, oh my God, the other topics, I, you know, I have oral pathology in here. Let me just flip to, I mean, some of the authors are such 
you know, a lot of them are educators who worked with me, which were phenomenal. Um, but we have laser therapy. We have patient-administered oral hygiene and preventive therapies. We talk about the role of mouth rinses. We talk about anesthesia in clinical practice because many hygienists can do, are allowed to do that through their state uh, practice regulations. We talk about nutrition, pediatric dentistry, and we also talk about um you know, the dentistry for the developmentally disabled patient, because we have a lot of patients that both across the board, dental hygienists and dentists are dealing with and specialists who have disabilities that need to be treated oral care wise as well. And then of course, volume three, (laughs) which is on technology ethics and career success. I've brought some other, you know, great opinion leaders in for this, um, this volume, which is on really trends. We talk about digital radiography. I'm sure you've had x-rays taken, Steve, Mm -hmm, by the computer. It's Mm -hmm. fabulous. You know, it's not what I learned when I got out of dental hygiene school in 84. We were doing it where, you know, you had to hand dip them and everything. Um, So we talk about technology in this volume. We talk about ergonomics. We talk about polishing. We talk about risk management medical emergencies, tobacco cessation, um, ethics in dental hygiene, and the importance of um, evidence-based decision-making. And that, to me, is very important, is that you're not making an assumption. You back what you've learned by the research that's been published. And so we've got some you know, wonderful men and women across the, both the dental and dentistry and medicine field that you know are talking about these topics, especially in volume two, when we talk about, you know, the incidence and prevention of oral cancer, which is a, a skyrocketing um, disease that has, in, has you know, grown over mm-hmm. the past, you know, 20 years. Um, Too much to sugar, all- right? Too much sugar. <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, with, with, the, with the oral, yeah, with yeah. The oral cancer, it's, it's alcohol. Oh, and really? Smoking. My goodness. With, with, too much sugar, it's your oral care yeah. disease, such as dental care. Well, I, all I can say is that old, uh, that often repeated phrase, you've come a long way, baby. You know, right, you used to be exactly. the cleaning person. <laughs> That's the way we looked upon you. You know, the, the assistant. Well, you're obviously much more than an assistant now. We're, yes, we're a dental hygiene professional that, you know, has been trained through a two-year program minimum, and then most hygienists go on for a bachelor's as well as many of my hygiene friends are a master degree because they're Mm. educators, Mm -hmm. and some have doctorate degrees as well. So, um, you know, in ADHA's mind, we're we're trying to enhance uh, the educational level of the dental hygiene um, professional you know, to a four-year degree. That's what, you know, I think down the road, that's what the minimum should be because of all the skills and knowledge and training we need. And then, of course, ADHA is also looking at instituting the um, advanced dental hygiene practitioner, similar to like the nurse, um, where there's additional training and certification for somebody at a higher level degree. So, um, you know, it's very exciting. And, you know, I think the other thing, Steve, is a lot of people, as you know, with the economic recession, have lost insurance or lost their jobs, Mm -hmm. lost their insurance. And, you know, they don't look at their mouth as an important entity, you know, unless they have something happen to their body and they need to go to a, a physician. So it's so important to continue to be able to go to your dentist um, and see your dental hygienist for your professional um, cleaning prophylaxis every six months because, as you know, we, we talked about before we started the interview, you know, when you have inflammation in the mouth, it can uh, spread to systemically in the body. And that's why it's so important that, you know, to floss, you know, people hate to floss. It's important to floss. It's important to brush effectively at the Mm -hmm. gum line uh, using the types of products that your dental professional would recommend to you. So whether it be a fluoride toothpaste, a toothpaste that helps to fight plaque or gingivitis, um, or, you know, an antiseptic, you know, ADA-approved mouth rinse. So it's all very important. And, and, the, and the hygienist plays, I feel, a leading role in dentistry to provide that patient care 
and you know to pro- provide those professional services, but to also provide the patient care and the education to their patients in order to keep them healthy till the next visit when they come back. Well, in my next life, I'm going to come back as a dental hygienist. You've convinced me. <laughs> hey, we have a lot of men in the field, Steve. So, you know, yes. I interviewed a lot of men in volume one uh, that I'm really proud are in the book. You know, Carlos Sanchez, Justin Bordesa, um, you know, great, great gentleman, Peter Ganji, my good friend from Massachusetts, um, you know, great men who are in the profession. And, and it adds flavor, you know, just like nursing. You have sure. male nurses and you have female nurses. Sure. Well, you know, it's, we're seeing, a, you know, we're seeing an you know, increase in that on the um, other, you know, on the male gender. So it's great. Savvy success, achieving professional excellence and career satisfaction in the dental hygiene profession. Volume one, and there are three volumes. Uh, this is complete, comprehensive, everything you ever wanted to ask, but we're kind of a little timid to ask. It's all in these books. Christine, tell us how to get your books. Okay, well, you can actually go to my website, which is um, www.savvysuccessbooks.com. And you can also visit Author House, which is my publisher, at www.authorhouse.com um, to actually purchase the books. Um, the other thing, Steve, I do want to mention of, of kind of giving back to the community. Um, as you probably know, um, dental hygienists do require continuing education credit in order to remain licensed. Um, what we did in the books, um, I unfortunately lost my mom to metastatic breast cancer uh, back in on Memorial Day of 2008. So, and that's why I wear my breast cancer pin. Um, we're actually giving back to the community in that we are going to offer um, at a discount anyone who has purchased any one of the volumes who's a dental hygiene professional, or we may even have some dentists that purchase the books because of the you know education that's in it regarding different topics in dentistry as well. They will get their continuing education online on my website in, two, uh, in um, spring of 2013 at a discount. And what we're doing is the money that the proceeds from the continuing education of these books online will be donated to the Susan Coleman Breast Cancer Research Foundation in my mom's name. I also have several friends who are in the book. Uh, who I've interviewed or wrote chapters uh, for me, who are breast cancer survivors. So my thing was important to kind of give back to the community. Right. You know, my mother was a breast cancer survivor for 26 years, and her cancer came back in 05, and then, of course, we lost her in 08. Um, so I wanted to do something significant that would make a difference, Would you know, for those hygienists who've been affected by breast cancer, but also, you know, in honor of my mother as well. Well, so, you certainly are making a difference. Difference, Christine. Thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a great day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. 
That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Secret History, and the author is Martin Roberts, and Martin joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Martin. Hello. Great to have you with us all the way from Belgium. Uh, Your book, as you put it, is an account of a number of criminal cases in the United States and in the United Kingdom some of which resulted in wrong convictions. Uh, we've got a particular, uh, uh, a very significant uh, uh, one in the United States dealing with Whitaker Chambers, an ex-spy, and of course became an idol of many Americans. Uh, he was awarded the Presidential Medal, Medal of Freedom. And uh, also we had the uh, fanaticism dealing with the IRA and the supporters of communism in uh, among many British people, uh, and and you pay particular attention. You do an analysis of communism in your book as well. Uh, before we get into some of the details of your book, Martin, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you decided to publish your book. Um, I I never set out to write a book. Um, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer, but for various reasons. When, when I was the right age, I didn't have enough money to um, follow a course. I, I would have needed to be sponsored by some um, firm of solicitors or whatever. Uh, and when I was working as an archivist, I saw in the place where I was living uh, a poster for for taking an LLB degree, that's to say a lawyer's degree, and it, it was possible to do it at night school, so I joined it and uh, struggled through the work. And one of the first things I did was... Uh, to to go to the public library and see whether there were any books there that would help my studies. The only one I found was one about the trials of Alger Hiss. Um, it was a very interesting book. It told me it taught me a lot about evidence and and you know hearsay and all that sort of thing. And um, I ended up rather doubtful about his conviction but of course it wasn't relevant to anything I was doing and uh, I just put the book on one side after I qualified as a lawyer I found that I was not really wanted I was in a foreign country I was in Belgium by that time and I couldn't use it directly. My employers didn't seem interested in it either. So I went back to the his case and I just began by writing an article about it in which I uh, discussed certain pieces of the evidence and tried to sell it to um, an American magazine. Um, I got no takers. So I thought, well, what about writing a book? And then I looked around and there were a lot of other cases from the same era as the his case, uh, which were worth studying. In, in particular, I read about Whitaker Chambers, his large book, Witness, and I wrote these, I tried to make it as short as possible so that uh, when I got a publisher to to, uh, 
accept it. And they said, we need, we need more. Give us more of other cases. So I did the Irish cases. Um, then that particular publisher, whom I won't name, looked at what I'd written and they looked at the chapter on communism and they said, uh, this is no good. This is, this is biased. You're too critical. You should, should have criticized the United States as well. And, uh, they broke the contract. So in the end, I, I took it to Author House and they have helped me enormously. But, it, you know, I, I never set out to write a book and the cases I, I've used have been ones where, where the, the evidence is more accessible. So, uh, it's been a fairly long process. Uh, I'd like to get back to going to the gym or, or <laughs> have, having a beer or something, you know, rela relaxing a bit. But well, that's that's how the book came about, by by accident, really. Um, well, tell us about Whitaker Chambers. Help us to kind of understand in general, uh, you know, that circumstance, and then uh, why you maintain that he told lies. Well, I, I don't. I, I've qualified that in the book um, in argument about you know discussion of evidence. I've used that word, but my belief is that he he fantasized. He he. He imagined a lot of things that happened in his life. Okay, he was a Soviet spy for some time, but he he dramatized everything, and you, you can't rely on many of the things that he says in his book. Um, a lot of people have said, uh, it's a very wonderful book, and so on. It's certainly very well written, but when it comes to the facts, um, both there and in his testimony to the FBI and elsewhere, um, his his accuracy is is, is um, can't be relied on. The same is true of the other uh, person, the ex-communist Elizabeth Bentley, who. Uh, accused or, or a number of the people in the book um, she she was a very sad individual who um, had to uh, how can I put it um, she needed a husband and life treated her very badly and becoming an agent for the communists made it even worse. Um, there are quite specific things that uh, are stated in their books that um, have been shown not to be true, but they're not lies as such. They're, they're um, rationalizations or, or just fantasy. When um, one of the people that Elizabeth Bentley had accused, tried to pin her down and get her to sit down with his, his lawyer and discuss these charges. Um, the, this, the topic of her book, Out of Bondage, came up and Miss Bentley said, oh, you don't want to pay any attention to that. That's fiction. Well, <clears throat> you know, you've got to make up your mind um, how reliable someone like that would be and as I say in the book they they both um, live to some extent in a dream world and the communist activity and all the rest of it and Elizabeth Bentley's constant search for a, a man whom she could trust um, they just um it took them away from reality. And I think, too, that uh, to, to be a communist um, means, also means that uh, 
that you you have to rationalize a lot of things. You have to say, oh, the revolution in Hungary when the Russians invaded, um, that was all right, really, even though lots of people were shot and people were fighting for freedom. And then you say, you know, a lot of um, semi-true semi -true and, and not true things to justify what the Russians did. You, you've got constant you had constantly to to um, uh, justify your views with with um, um, with people that you met. I've I've heard a lot of people. At one time, I worked with someone who who whose parents were communists and who had very left wing opinions and. Uh, from what I learned of his personal life, it was enormously damaging to him. It ended with with his, I can't forget that, with his father, who was dying of cancer, phoning him and trying to sort of re-establish relations, but he couldn't do it. They were both so... Um, tied up with what is in, in essence an anti-human movement that they couldn't stretch out a hand to each other. I'm not sure if that's clear, but that, <laughs> that has stayed mm -hmm. with me very vividly. Hmm. Now, uh, in the Irish-UK uh, cases, uh, the book yes. shows that uh, those who still maintain, uh, those who still maintain the defendants were guilty have misread or ignored the evidence. Yes, yes, that, that, that's my point of view. Um, it's, it, 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 it's not one that, I, um, that I'm glad to, to say. I, 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 would, I mean, I studied law, um, like a lot of people who study law but don't work as lawyers, I, I felt a sort of reverence for English law, United States law, and other things. It was no pleasure to me to find that these people were wrongly convicted. And you must remember that just a, a startling example in the Irish cases is the case of the Maguire Seven, Mr. and Mrs. Maguire were Irish people living in Britain. They were very friendly and hospitable people. And came a time when a man, Pat O'Neill, happened to ask them, could they look after his three daughters because his wife was in hospital um, having another baby. Um, uh, yes, the answer was yes. He 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 went round to the Maguire house with with his children. While he was there, some of the other men in the house went for a drink, and so did he. So he'd spent perhaps half an hour in the house. The police arrested the men that had gone for a drink, and they arrested Mrs. Maguire and her children and all the rest of it. And they also arrested Mr. O'Neill. Now, the charge that was laid against them was that they were making bombs. So you, you have to suppose that uh, Mr. O'Neill um, came round with his children uh, to, to the Maguire house to help in, 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 in making bombs. Well, no, that, that beggar's belief. It's, it's, it's quite ludicrous. But at the time, people, people accepted this sort of thing. In one of the other cases, uh, the judge said, you have, been, you have been found guilty on the strongest possible evidence that I can recall. Well, that wasn't true either. The, 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 you know, the, it was paranoia. 
and its paranoia that has also affected, if you'll excuse me mentioning it, uh, cases where a child has been kidnapped, sexually abused and murdered. Um, there was a case um, in Britain where a man, where there was one of these murders, and a man who was slightly eccentric was arrested. And they persuaded him to confess. So he confessed to the murder. Um, later, his, his relatives went over the testimony um, and the, the, the physical evidence. They found that there, was, there were traces of semen on the body of the little girl. That semen, of course, nowadays, can be um, traced through DNA. The thing was that the man who had been convicted was sterile. The, the, the semen could not possibly have been his. But he spent 14 years in jail because of that, because of, he'd made a confession. The, 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 in the Irish cases, the, the, there were some who were beaten up and made to sign a confession. When you read those confessions, um, and compare them with the, the statements that they first made when the police arrested them, you realize it, it, it's fantasy. It, it's from the other side of the moon. Mm. Uh, that is also the case with some of the evidence that uh, Whitaker Chambers and Elizabeth Bentley put forward. That They were, for instance saying, well, Elizabeth Bentley said that um, one of the men she accused, who was later um, arrested and convicted, and who, whose story is in my book, um, she said that this man had given her, he was a government official, had given her uh, a formula by which you could turn garbage into uh, rubber. Now, this this clearly is not true because uh, there would have been an enormous fuss about it, and uh, someone would have uh, patented the method and and made themselves an awful lot of money. It, it, it's just she um, she imagined that. Mm. Well, that's one of the reasons you have written your book, and you title it so well, Secret History. It's, uh, it's a rather controversial book, but at the same time, through your research, you're pointing out a lot of important evidence that uh, many who are interested in, in these cases uh, will help them see things uh, much differently. Uh, Martin, uh, tell us how to get your book. Um, well... I have a stock of them, um, which I'm prepared to sell. Um, it's uh, £12.95. I don't know what that would be in dollars, but it's possible to get some of these uh, books from me and some from Author House, who are the publishers of the book. and. I would guess that it'd be a lot cheaper for uh, your listeners to buy um, to buy them from Author House. Um, I'm afraid I don't know the detail of that where right, they go, stock them or, or right. go to authorhouse.com and they can find uh, the book Secret History. Uh, Martin Roberts is the author, and Martin, if they'd like to contact you directly, do they just contact you by email? Um, 
Well, they could contact me, yes. Um, be the easiest, probably. Um, what, what I would say is I am happy to discuss these cases insofar as I know them with anybody. Um, I will be setting up a website just as a means to allow people to put their views. I know a lot of people feel very strongly about what I've, what's mm-hmm. I've described, like the, the different cases, and I hope to have a website soon where um, people can come alongside and, and, you know, bang the table, tell me why they think I'm wrong. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure everyone will uh, look but, forward but to I, that. I, I don't have that in right. in 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 uh, being at the moment. Well, thank you, Martin. That uh, will help everyone to reach you. And if they'd like to discuss this with you, they can. And look forward to getting your website up. Uh, Martin Roberts, the author of his book, Secret History. Martin, thanks so much for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you for giving me your time. <laughs>